We are so excited to have you joining us for our It Is Written series. Pastor Curtis continues the series by showing us how to tell the Bible is true. We hope you've enjoyed the sermon, and if you're interested, you can certainly check out the first two weeks on our same podcast. Amen. Well, I hope that you have had a absolutely wonderful week. Uh, I hope that uh, you recovered from the snowpocalypse last weekend, because uh, you know anytime Sussex County gets more than a dusting, boy, you better watch out. We got to shut the whole thing down. In fact, I heard Monday as I was uh, getting up and going out and going to work and everything uh, that uh, there was a lot of schools that canceled. I have no idea why they canceled. I guess they just canceled because it was cold. I don't know. But we, we know that uh, Sussex County, we don't typically do very well, do we, when we get some of that white stuff falling. And how many of you pray? Praise God a little bit for the fact that it's uh, 57 degrees outside right now and through the monsoon that we just got that it wasn't snowflakes because it would have took us a month. We know that, right? It would have took us a month to dig out from it. But, uh, but I hope that your week is, uh, is going really well. Uh, the Jones household is recovering. We are in recovery mode. Uh, we had uh, some sickness hit our house in the middle of this week, and maybe you've experienced that. And I looked uh, like a crazy man this week because uh, I would go through like twice a day to our house with Lysol and just spraying everything, just spraying everybody, spraying the dog, spraying no- doorknobs. It didn't matter. I was spraying everybody because I knew that I did did not want none of that. So, uh, so thankfully, uh, we are we are persistent. We are surviving. We're going through. We are more than conquerors, as it says in Scripture. We are doing all right. But uh, I hope that uh, as you know, you were snowed in last week. Maybe you had the opportunity to check us out on Facebook. We did a Facebook live uh, the message last week, and we also, of course, recorded it and put it up on our podcast uh, that you can uh, find anywhere you find podcasts. You should be able to find the Discover Church DE podcast. Uh, but make sure if you didn't get a chance to, to check out last week's uh, message, you can do that, on, uh, and that is available. But we are in the midst of uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, I don't know. Hopefully, you've been able to hang with me. I know some of you have started. I, I, I know some people are doing food. Some people are doing social media. Uh, some people are doing other things. But uh, it's gotten real a couple times around our house in our prayer and fasting uh, because it's just one of those ones where you just you're looking at all that stuff that you're not supposed to be in, right? And you're just like, ooh, ooh, that looks so good right now. But I can, you're going to hold out. Hold out with me, okay? Don't let me be the only one at the end of 21 days uh, feeling uh, like a conqueror, okay? I want you to be right there with us. If you have missed this, you're like, man, I have no idea what you're talking about, 21 days. Well, a couple weeks ago, uh, we started our 21 days of prayer and fasting where we decided to take 21 days here at the beginning of the year and make sure that we really dedicated them to God, spent some time in prayer, reading his word every single day. We have a prayer guide for you that's got some scripture. It's got some things to pray about. You can pick that up before you leave today. I know we have some at the entrance. If you did not get one of those uh, when we met a couple weeks ago, it feels like it's been forever because of the snowpocalypse we had. But uh, but it's been an exciting time, and uh, we've been posting those also on social media, so you can kind of follow along. That's another way that you can follow along in the prayer and fasting. And the fasting is not just to starve ourselves. It's not just so we can uh, just not participate in something, but it is something so it frees us up and it realizes 
that it takes a little bit of discipline, a little bit of sacrifice, a little bit of incentive for us to make sure that we really are in God's word, that we're really taking the time uh, to pray uh, this year as we start at 2019. And can you believe it? The month of January is almost gone. Uh, it's hard to believe, isn't it? But we're in a series here at the beginning of the year called It Is Written, and this is actually going to be the third part to it. We're going to finish up next week with It Is Written, and we are also going to kind of take an end to the prayer and fasting as far as uh, as a collective group. We're going to do communion next week, so you won't want to miss that at the same time. But it, we're in the this message series, It Is Written, and you know we're really talking and focusing on God's Word and, and its impact on our lives and, and how are some practical things, that some things we should know, some things we should do. So in week one, we talked about a life built on God's Word, and last week, uh, even through all the snow, we shared a little bit about understanding. I shared about understanding the Bible and how, you know, this book here, you know, uh, which is sometimes complicated for us to read, uh, but that's because if we don't understand how it's put together it, it, for the fact that, you know, it's not written uh, chronologically, it's, it was put together based on the themes or groupings of the books. And so if we don't understand that, sometimes you, you can start reading one book and travel into the next book and say, what just happened? How did we get here? Well, that's because sometimes we don't understand that the different parts of the book aren't always, uh, they don't always just flow together like a story would, like in, in a typical storyline. So today, though, we're going to take a little bit of time, and this is going to be a really, really awesome one, I think, if you're taking notes, on why can we trust the Bible? How do we know that we can trust the Bible, and what are some things and reasons that we can trust it, in fact? And, and we, we know that we should trust the Bible, right? Because it says this in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy. Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 says that some scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching. Right? Some scripture. No, it says that all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, that is you and me, we're the servants of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay? Now, some of you, you like the part in this scripture where it talks about correction and rebuking, don't you? Because we love to throw some Bible down on somebody and like smack them up, be like, oh, you know what? The, you know, the Bible says this. You know? Well, it also says we're supposed to do it in love, but we're going to skip that one for today. All right. But it, it says that all scripture is God breathed. But one of the things that happens, I think, many, many times is that this book here, the, the Bible, gets mis, uh, is so misunderstood, it gets misquoted. Uh, people use what I often think of as gotcha verses, right, when they want, uh, like if somebody doesn't believe in scripture, they want to take a, a, a random uh, a scripture out or even a, a misquoted scripture and they want to throw that back at you and they want to kind of cause doubt in people and, and that happens sometimes, right, because this this word when we take a look at it in, in its entire form is a powerful, a powerful thing. In fact, I, I took the uh, opportunity, I had the opportunity uh, years ago to teach a college course on cults, and they were Christian cults. And, and if you don't really, maybe you're like, uh, what is a Christian cult? A Christian cult is this. It is someone or is a group of people or a, a teacher or a leader that takes the scripture and they either add stuff to it, they cut stuff out of it to make it their own thing. That Basically, they take uh, the gospel and they make it something different. They cut pieces out and they, they do this. Why? Because they realize that this is powerful and it's a powerful influencer uh, 
And we realize that sometimes that, that when we get this misinformation, we, we get doubts, don't we? It's, it's easy to doubt things when it comes to Scripture. So today we're going to say, why can we trust the Bible? How, how do we know that it can be trusted in Matthew in Matthew 24, and remember the Ma- Matthew is in the beginning part there of the Gospels, and this is all about Jesus. And it says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, he's saying my words, the words of God, he says, they will never pass away. They will never, they will never pass away. And, and isn't it amazing to think that as each of us, whether we carry it on our phone or whether we carry it here in paper form, that, that these words that, you know, according to how new or how old your Bible is, you might be carrying this word around, but you don't realize what you're carrying around here with you is powerful. Not, 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 just, not just the book. I'm not talking about the book, but I'm talking about the words that you carry with you because these words that are in this book, not to mention the fact that they've been around for thousands of years, but the, it's not just the history and the typing of it, but it's the fact that it's about the story of God. It's about his living word. And so today, I want to talk to you a little bit about this, and and I'm going to give you some some information that you would find if you were apologists, and an apologist is not somebody uh, that just says, I'm sorry a lot, but uh, we're going to be talking about apologetics a little bit today, and apologetics is basically uh, the study of the defense of God's Word. It's basically knowing that you know. It's knowing that, that this scripture is, is not just uh, in the book in between cover to cover, but that there's actually things in it that you know are true, and these are the reasons you know they are true. And uh, I, I wouldn't uh, be able to talk about this a little bit today without giving you uh, the name uh, of somebody who is really kind of like the, the top leader uh, in, in apologetics uh, in our time, and that is Dr. Josh McDowell, who wrote, uh, uh, this is one of the books I have of his, that this is one of his best-selling books ever. It's been uh, redone a couple different times and updated continually with new information, but it's evidence that demands a verdict, and uh, if you are really into to history and the, knowing the background of things, I, I recommend you pick that up and you can kind of go through that yourself and some of this information comes from his research and some of this is just from other research that we've done but how do we know that the Bible can be trusted I'm going to give you a couple points today to know and these are really good because if you've ever struggled with this or you know people that have these are really good things to understand, to be able to explain to somebody, to be able to, to take the time and to go into. Because listen, it's hard for somebody to be able to receive the knowledge of God if they don't trust the word that it's coming from. So we need to be able to make sure that we trust it ourselves, but then also that other people can understand it and trust it as well. So maybe you're sitting here today and you're a Christian and, and you have the, some th- parts about this that you got some questions on, or maybe you don't really, you've not sold into God, to, to Jesus and God, and you're not 100% there. Well, listen, I'm hoping that today by us kind of going through and talking out some of these points here, that this is going to help connect you to the scripture a little bit tighter so that we know it's true. The first part about how do we know that the Bible is true is this. Because it's historically accurate. It's historically accurate. Now listen, I am a history guy. Uh, My wife kind of gets a little annoyed with me sometimes because we'll go into museums. I love museums, okay? I I, I love just about all museums, okay? It's one of those ones I love just going through and reading the information and checking stuff out. And she'll hang with me like for the first part of the first part of the exhibition, right? She'll She'll be there, but then all of a sudden like I look around and she's gone. 
And she's going, because she's, she's done all the reading she wants to do, and she's going to find somewhere, a bench normally towards the end, and she's just going to hang out away from me. She knows I'm going to catch up to her at some point. But I love history. And I know that sometimes we read this, uh, this, this, this book, right, and, and we, we've heard people talk about uh, Noah and Jonah and, and some of the amazing stories, and you think, how can this be? But the fact is, is that history actually does prove this book to be true, and there's three tests that I, I want to let you know. There's three tests that go through, that something goes through to find out if it's historically accurate, okay? This is not just for scripture, but this is in general, if it's historically accurate or not. The first one is this. The first one is that there's eyewitness accounts. And we can read this book and realize that from Moses parting the Red Sea or all the way to the Gospels, to the lives of Jesus, these are stories of people who were there who witnessed the thing being done. In fact, it's amazing to think that the scripture has over 40 different authors to it. And all of these guys uh, were taking the time, all these people were taking the time to uh, write down the history that they were experiencing, that they were going through. The second one, and this is super, super important. The second one is this, is that it was recorded and copied with extreme care. You know, one of the amazing things, I, I learned this years ago to find out about the Jewish scribes that were in charge of recording the Old Testament, is that they went through extreme, extreme caution and diligence when they took the time to record the Old Testament. They wouldn't do it like sentence by sentence or, or whatever, but they would do it letter by letter each time, one time, one piece at a time, as they copied and they transcribed the Bible. In fact, Jewish scribes, the ones that were in charge of really writing scripture, they knew the scripture so well that they knew from the middle of the, bu the, middle of the, of the book that they were writing from to the beginning, they knew how many words there were in it. And they would go through and they would count from beginning to end how many words. And if they were missing a single one, guess what happened? It was thrown away. They were meticulous. They took the time to go through and you say, yeah, but how does that mean that we really still know that what was written then was really written now because there's other historical evidence that happened. Maybe Many of you have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. The Dead Sea Scrolls were this really incredible thing that happened. Uh, some, some sheep herders out in the desert took the opportunity to come across a cave, and in this cave they found what is known as now the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were entire uh, uh, caves full of manuscripts of the Old Testament gospel, uh, the Old Testament of Scripture, and guess what? These were the oldest ever found, oldest ever found. Many of these were, were more than a thousand years old. And guess what? When they held them up, the, what they held then and what we hold now, guess what we found? It was amazing. It was the exact same. It was the exact same thing that was found. And I had the opportunity a few years ago to go to Philadelphia to the Franklin Institute. They actually had a whole exhibit on it where they had some of the Dead Sea Scrolls brought in. And it was amazing to think that as you go there and you see uh, this parchment that is literally, you know, it's just so old. It's so incredible. And that it, it was amazing to me for the fact that it validates so much because it validates the, the Old Testament for us. It's amazing to think, and the third thing is this that happens to make something historically accurate, and that is it's archaeologically confirmed. It's confirmed by archaeologists, and, and it's an incredible thing to think. In fact, in his book, uh, Josh McDowell has uh, over 11 different instances where he can, where they go through and they, they actually prove that where cities 
in the scripture where they say they were. These ancient cities are actually there, and, and they go through and they record with meticulous detail exactly the findings that they find from, from different Old Testament things that, that are just these ancient places that we find that are actually true. In Psalms 33, 4, it says, For the word of God is right and it is true. The second part, and this is uh, one that I also like because I was never, uh, anybody in the science, like you were like, science was your thing in school, like you were super into it? No? Okay, there's a couple people. It's okay. If, you, if you're a science nerd, you're, it's okay. It's all right to be a science nerd. I don't understand you, uh, but it's okay. I'm, I'm glad you liked it. And, and, and one of the things I love about scripture is this is that it's scientifically accurate. And now it's not scientifically accurate because it's a science-based book, right? Because we know that it, it doesn't lay out a lot of the things. But I'm going to lay out a little bit for you of why. And, and see, the reason it's got a little bit of science in it is this, is because the fact that God who created the entire universe, right, not only did he create the universe, but he had, in order to create it, he had to make the laws that governed it. Okay, he had to basically create the fundamental laws of how everything works. And so that is why, in part, it is scientific-based. And, and we know that science has disagreed with the scripture a lot over time. And, and this is not anything new. So if you hear things nowadays, it's nothing new. Science, for centuries, for centuries has been disagreeing to many extents with what we find in scripture. Uh, but, but that's okay because it says in Psalms 148, Five and six, it says that let every created thing give praise to the Lord. He says, for he issued his command. He was the one who spoke it into existence, and they came into being. And then what did he do? He set them into place. He set everything into place as far as how it was going to operate, and, and, and his decree will never be revoked. His decree is never revoked from exactly the way things are put together and the way things are worked. And listen, the amazing thing about the Bible versus science and, and the debate that has happened over a year is that science changes. And if you don't believe me, I, I, I beg to you to go to the school that your kids go to uh, or go and see if you can dig up one of your old science textbooks, right, and read it and see if the science that you taught or that they taught you when you were in school is the science that they teach now. And you know what you're going to find out? That maybe certain parts of it are, but a lot of it changes because science has evolved over time. And it's amazing to see that as science has evolved, it and the Bible have kind of created this opportunity for them uh, to, to, to coexist there and for the Bible to prove, in fact, that many things were, were really true. And, and you say, okay, I, I'm not sure I'm following you here because you're, you're getting science on me. Well, let's take a look at a few things that are not in in scripture. Okay, these are going to give you, I'm going to give you some examples of some things that are not in scripture that you would have thought would have been there based on when they were written and who they were written by. Okay, so we may know, you probably know, uh, maybe you don't know this, but from the the Bible times from, from a really long time up until easily into the Middle Ages and even honestly still today, there are some people who are called flat earthers. You know what flat earthers mean? It's people that think that the earth is flat. They taught this for, for a really long time, in fact, that the earth is flat, and, and you, you, were, you learned this in school. You know why you learned this in school? Because we knew that when Columbus set sail, Columbus, what did he do? He set sail in 14, was it 14 what? Oh, there you go, 1492. So you guys are catching on with me, okay? So he set sail, but we didn't really know what he was going to find, did we? 
we, we didn't know because, you know, the theory was that he could just fall off the edge. <laughs> it just ends. It just stops. It just, go, it just doesn't go on anymore. But it's funny that in the book of Isaiah, it says this. Isaiah 42 says that God sits enthroned uh, above the circle. And if you actually look at the word circle, it literally means globe of the earth. He sits enthroned above the globe. So it's right in there, but for many years that we didn't quite grasp it or understand it or we didn't recognize it. Also, for, for a really long period of time, the, the thought was that the earth had to be held up by something, right? Because it had to be up here somehow. What was holding it up? And, and in fact, the Greeks had Atlas. You know, if you've seen Atlas, he's the guy. He's got, he's got it picked up. He's got the earth lifted on him. Uh, we, believe, we find that uh, Hindus believe that the earth uh, was put on the back of an elephant uh, that stood on top of a turtle that stood on top of a serpent, which described why everything spun and moved exactly the way it did. The Egyptians, okay, the Egyptians who were like the like the smartest brainiacs of their time, right, because they were some of the best at science and math. That's why we still go there to this day, don't we, to see their giant pyramids that they've stood out in the middle of deserts, right? And we, we see all the different things they've created and, and the things that they succeeded from ancient times, you know, believe that there was uh, five uh, pillars that helped to hold the earth up. And now you say, well, what does this have anything to do? Well, remember, Moses, who wrote the earliest books of the Bible, right? He, he wrote the first five books. As, as he come, guess where Moses received his education? He received his education in Egypt. He was an adopted part of Pharaoh's family. And so he received his education from some of the, the best scholars of their time. But you know what's ironic and funny is that you don't see any of the mention of any of this anywhere in Scripture where Moses, where Moses wrote. In fact, uh, the book of Job, which the book of Job is considered to be the oldest book of the Bible, it says in Job 26.7 that he spreads out the northern skies over what? Over empty space. And he suspends the earth over nothing. You didn't know that was in Scripture, did you? It's amazing to think that it literally tells us some of how everything is laid out. It was also believed in science that the number of stars could be counted. How many of you have ever sat outside and tried to count the stars at night and you thought that you could do it, right? Well, you were not the only one. Uh, Parkus in 150 B.C. decided that he could count the stars and he counted a whole 1,022 stars. One of the best of his time. That was his coming theory. And Ptolemy, 300 years later, said, no, he's got it wrong. There's not 1,022 stars, but there's 1,026. There's 1,026 stars. And now, isn't it amazing? I, I, I love when we get the reports from NASA. I, I, I'm just fascinated by how we, we sent uh, satellites and cameras and all these things. We're sending them out in the space, and they're going into some of the deepest parts. They're going further away from, from Earth than we've ever, ever been with anything ever. And we're finding constantly new things to discover. There's constantly new stars, new planets uh, that, that are being discovered. It, it's amazing to think. But if you read the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 32, 33.22 says, guess what? The stars in the sky cannot be counted. They can't be counted. 
in medicine, you say, well, certainly the scripture doesn't really have much to say about medicine. But listen, medicine is an amazing thing that has evolved over time, isn't it? Uh, how many of you are so glad that you live in the era that you live in now versus just a mere couple hundred years? Because uh, back uh, in the early parts, we had this guy named Hippocrates who was considered the father of, of medicine. And, and he kind of created uh, some of the basis for what we started off of from there on. And we found that, guess what? That he thought that the uh, body consisted of four fluids or humors, okay? You've got in you, you got black bile. Yum. Yellow bile. Boy, that sounds so great. Uh, phlegm and blood. Okay, those are your four main ingredients. Those are normally, if there's something in you wrong, it's got to be one of those four things. But we find that more than a thousand years that this is the kind of general consensus. And, and, and for a long time, guess what we thought? We thought when people got sick that it was their blood that made them sick. So what they would do is they would, what, what's called bloodletting, where they would actually cut a person open, or sometimes you would see, if you watch old movies or anything about old kings, right, they, they would either cut them uh, to let the blood out, or they would uh, bring in something to suck the blood out of you, which is super exciting again, right? And in fact, listen, this persisted so long uh, that our very first president, George Washington, he actually died from this. He died because he was sick, and his doctors were letting blood out, and, and in fact, they accidentally they let too much out and he passed away from it so this is something that's happened for a really long time we, we thought there was all these things that were wrong with us but in Leviticus okay in Leviticus it actually says 1711 says that for the life of the body is what the life of the body is in the blood and of course we know that now right we know that that's why we have people that go through dialysis and go through all the things that they do when we do blood transfusions because we know that life is in the blood we know that the black plague killed scores of people, right? In Leviticus, again, it talks about how the priest is going to quarantine a person that is sick for seven days. Because even in Scripture, it talks about the fact that, that when we all get sick, that there's things that are contagious and that we should limit ourselves to it. And it's amazing to me. Psalms 12:6 says, and the word of the Lord is flawless. The words of the Lord are flawless. They're like silver purified in a crucible. They're like gold refined seven times. It's amazing to think of what the Bible says and doesn't say versus compared to then and now for us to understand that we can trust it. The next thing is this, and this is a good one for you because some people struggle with this, is that it's prophetically accurate. It is prophetically accurate, and I'm going to throw some stuff out to you, and I hope this blows your mind because when I was doing some research, it blew mine, all right? Did you know that the scripture has more, that scripture has more than a thousand prophecies? It has more than 300 prophecies about Jesus alone, and in fact, the last prophecy that came about Jesus came 400 years before he was ever born. And in fact, I love the fact that, that David, in Psalms 22, David, okay, who was in the lineage of of Jesus, but of course lived, lived so long before him. David in Psalms 22 actually describes how Jesus is going to die on the cross. Now you might say, well, that, what's the big deal about that? Death by crucifixion had not been invented yet when David described this in the book of Psalms. It, it, it's, it's, it's incredible to think that it's prophetically accurate. Second Peter 121, it says, for prophecy never had its origin in human will. So prophecy is not about 
what a human wants or wills. In fact, that's a good way to tell when somebody's kind of full of it, right? When they're, when, they're, when they're trying to tell you something, but it's more out of their own will or want. But it says, but prophets, though human, they spoke from God as they were carried along with the Holy Spirit. So the prophet speaks from God through the Holy Spirit, just like the people that wrote this book were allowed where God took and he wrote and he was able to speak to them through that. One of the things I, I think is amazing is that Peter Stoner, who was a professor from Pasadena Westmont College in the 1950s, he did some calculations. And I'm, I'm going to try to explain this to you as good because, again, remember, I'm not science guy, okay? That's not me. All right, but I'm going to try to give you the numbers so we can grasp it. He, he did some predictions, right? You know, because, like, we all love our predictions, right? So when you go play the lottery, you know that you're, the chance of winning the lottery is what? Like, one and never, right? It's one out of, like, a hundred quadrillion million, right? You know what I mean? Which is why, uh, you know, it hardly, hardly ever happens. It's a big deal when it does. But, you know, he did uh, some, some, some figures on what it would be for somebody to actually fulfill some of the prophecies. What are the chances that, that's, that one person could fill the, the prophecies in Scripture? And he, he first started out with a low number. He said, okay, what if one person fulfilled just eight what if one person fulfilled just eight prophecies in Scripture, what would the chances be? And I think we might have this up here on, on screen, the screen for you. But it's one, or it, it's your chances of one person doing it is one uh, in ten to the 17th power. Okay? So in other words, for, for, for you to grasp that, that is uh, the, the number one with 17 zeros after it. Okay? That's for one person to fulfill, fulfill eight, all right? And, and it, they, uh, they said for one person to fulfill uh, uh, 16, okay, one person to fulfill 16 prophecies is one in 10 to the 45th power. So that's one with 45 zeros. Somebody said it was like this. They said if you had a silver dollar and, and you had silver dollars and you needed to store them, you would need to store them in the state of Texas, the entire state. It would be two feet deep. And the person, the chance of a person doing this is like there being a red silver dollar in the midst of all those other silver dollars two feet deep in the state of Texas that you happen to fly a helicopter over, reach down, and grab that, that, that red one. That, that's about what, what it is when we talk about the chances of, of it happening. For 48 to be fulfilled, and this is where I stopped because the numbers got too big for me after this. This is already insane. But for 48 to be fulfilled, it's 1 in 10 to the 157th power. So that's 1 with 157 zeros after it, which is basically to say it's impossible, okay? It's basically to say that for anyone to do that is impossible. In Matthew 26, 56, it says this, and this is Jesus talking. It says, but this all happened to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in Scripture. And when he says this as recorded in Scripture, remember Jesus is not talking about the New Testament Scripture because it hadn't been written yet. He's still speaking it. In fact, he's talking about the Old Testament Scripture. 
And we realize that even with all that have been fulfilled, that there are some still yet to be fulfilled. In fact, if you could read the book of Revelation, which I know a lot of people get kind of concerned and kind of weirded out about because there's a lot of crazy imagery. Well, you try being somebody in, in, in the first century that's trying to understand what God's going to do in the future. You'd probably have some crazy visions and dreams about it too. But we find in Revelation 22.6, it says that the angel said to me, that these words are trustworthy and true. It says, the Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that would soon take place. It's prophetically accurate. You can trust the Bible. The fourth one, it's thematically unified. And I talked about this a little bit last week, but the fact, it's amazing to think, isn't it, that when you look through the scripture, there are 40 different people who help put this together over time. And guess what? 40 different people still come together to have the same output, the same reason, the same, the same goal and desire. Now, it's easy to understand if it was one person, right? One person can write a story from beginning to end and it make it seem coherent. But 40 different people came together to put your scripture together. It says in Luke 24, 27, that and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scripture concerning who? Concerning himself. God spoke to it because it's his story. It's what it is. Now, number five, this is, uh, we're almost done. And number five is this. It's trusted by Jesus. The Bible is. And you might say, well, why is the fact that it's being trusted by Jesus, why is that a big deal? Because here's the problem we have is a lot of people like Jesus. Jesus is all right, right? Actually, that's a song. Ain't it? Jesus is all right with me. No? You don't know? Okay. All right. Uh, that's an old one, ain't it? I was going to say, it goes back a little bit. But listen, Jesus is all right with a lot of people. Jesus is all right with a lot of people, and they like the words of Jesus. They love the fact that he came to teach about love, and he came to teach about forgiveness, right? But they're not sure about the rest of it. They're not sure about the Old Testament, or they're not sure about even some of the parts of the, of the New Testament, but they're okay with Jesus. But the problem is, is that Jesus trusted this book himself. He said in Matthew 5, 18, he said, for, tr for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. See, we know that the world has moving standards, doesn't it? The stuff that's okay today to do was not okay to do 50 years ago. The stuff that is okay 50 years ago was not okay 100 years before that. The world constantly has moving standards. What's okay today by next year is going to change. Things happen. But we know that Jesus trusted this word because it's the unfailing word of God. It never ceases to amaze because it never ceases to change. Its truth is today just like it was back then, just like it will be in your future. The sixth one is this, is that it has survived attacks. It survived so many attacks because, listen, I, I, I think, I kind of personally think, you, you don't have to agree with me, it's okay, that, that Christianity is pretty much constantly under attack in some various form or another. And, and, and I think that it's amazing that when you talk about this book here, that this book has been despised, it's been divided, it's been denied, it's been disputed, it's been misquoted, it's been taken out of context, it's been put in different authority, uh, it's been blamed for all the wrongs of the world, it's been blamed for the future things that haven't even happened yet. It, it, it's, when you come down to it, the, the scripture is the most attacked thing ever, basically. And 
and when I say the scripture, it's the scripture because it's the word of God. It survived all of those attacks. It survived Christians being burned and martyred. It survived uh, the crucibles that have happened in the church over the centuries. It survived everything that has come against it. Every time man has come to try to destroy it or to try to mess it up or to try to, to, to do something wrong with it, guess what? It has survived, and it shouldn't be a surprise. It says in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 24, 25, says that the grass withers and the flowers fail. We know that, right? But the word of the Lord will do what? It will endure forever. It's going to survive. It's going to last. And the very last one here, this is the last point we're wrapping up, is this. It has transforming power. That's how you can know it's true. It has transforming power because I guarantee you, you can look to the person to your left or to your right, or the person in front of you or behind you. And I guarantee you that if you had just a few minutes to sit and for them uh, to share about your story and your experience, about the mess that you used to be, and, and how all the, all the things that you've done that, that if you've screwed up on, and, and all the problems that you've ever had in life, and all the things, all the reasons you should have been dead, and all, all the reasons why you should have not been married, and you shouldn't have had kids, and, and you shouldn't have the job that you had, and all the things that you can go through. And then what do we say? But when Jesus came into my life, but when Jesus, when I had the opportunity to meet a Savior and that Savior came and I read his words and his spirit spoke to me and I was able to stand and sing. I was able to sing, how great is my God. For all will sing, how great. I was able to say that and not only was I able to say it, but he was able to do something in my life. He was able to transform my life. He was able to make it something new and something different. I want to let you know that the transforming power of God doesn't stop there. It transformed me a long time ago, but that doesn't mean I'm a finished product, okay? If you think that's the case, just talk to my wife. She'll tell you I am far from perfect. But one of the things that we recognize is that this book this book is so much more than a book. And in fact, listen, you know, uh, if, if there was a, a fire right here, you could throw this Bible right here into the fire. And guess what? It changes nothing for the fact that the word of God endures. And he's going to endure in your heart if you take the opportunity and hold on to it. That's why really I think the 21 days of prayer and fasting has been something that's so impactful in your life and in my life. It is for me, it helps me kind of to hit the reset button, you know, because sometimes it's really easy to get distracted in, in all the other things that come into life and to work and, 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 and kids and, and your, all the stuff that you want to do and, and all the housekeeping stuff and taking care of, uh, of the animals and, and doing all the things that you have in your life that, that are a part of your responsibility to do. It's so easy to get caught up in that. But hopefully what these 21 days of fasting and prayer have taken the opportunity to let us sit back and realize and appreciate for just a little bit for the, the transforming power that the scripture has. Would you stand with me this morning? I recognize today that as we go through a lot of these points about how we can trust the Bible. Uh, there's many of you, you, you still, you know, I still, I still have questions that are unanswered.
I know, I recognize that you probably still have some questions unanswered. That's okay. To tell you the truth, you're probably never going to have all your questions answered, at least not in this life. But simply, one of the points that I want to lay out for you so that you can lay out for people around you, so that you can be a living example of, is that this book is not just some stories, a fairy tale. It's not just some, some nice thoughts that we should try to do. But the fact that it's the living word of God that spoke the breath of existence into place. He was the one who created the planets. He was the one who spoke breath and life into some clay and created a man. He's the one that continually, he's the one, he's the one that saved you from that car accident that you didn't even know you got in. He's the one that came into your life and helped you. He's the one that helps you understand the love and compassion that you can have for your children. He's the one that can help draw you in that love, that first igniting love that you had with your husband or your wife. He's the one that's done all of that. Out of his breath, out of his creation. And today as we get ready to close out, I just want to say if there's anyone here that you've, you've never taken that step, if you've never taken the opportunity to say, you know what, I need that in my life. I need that breath of God to breathe, to breathe some life into me, into my life, because my life is a mess. It's a wreck. I've tried to do it my way, and I just can't do it. I, I just can't do it anymore. I, I just want to let you know that today is, is an amazing opportunity for you to call out to God, for you to call out to His Spirit. And as we get ready to close in prayer today, I just want to encourage you to take the opportunity, no matter where you are in your walk with God, just to take the opportunity to pray out to Him. Thank Him for what He's done in your life. Thank Him for all the change that He's made in your life. Thank you for the things that He's done that you, you might not have even recognized at the time, for all the times He saved you that you didn't even know, for the people that He's put around you in your life. And if you've never taken the opportunity today, just call out to him and say, God, I don't want to live the way I was living. I want to chase after you. I want to serve Jesus. I'm sorry for my sins and my mistakes, Father God. I, I don't want to do those anymore. I want to turn from it. I want to walk away. I want to walk in a new path. And I truly believe that if you sincerely mean that today, that he's going to come and then he's going to dish out some peace to you. He's going to dish out some love to you. And you've got people around you that, that, that love you and want to encourage you. Would you pray this morning? Father, we just want to thank you today, Lord God, for your loving mercy, Father God. Lord, we, we thank you today for your scripture, for your word, Lord God, that you spoke so many years ago. Lord God, that you inspired people throughout the centuries to take the opportunity to write it, to transcribe it, to keep it. Lord God, we thank you that we can trust this word today, Father God. Lord, and we thank you that for many of us, we were able to put these words into practice in our own lives, and you've impacted our lives. You've impacted my life, Father God. You've given me an incredible wife. You've given me wonderful children, Father God. I have a loving family, Father God. You've blessed me with a, with a place to, to be home, Father God. You've, you've blessed me with people around me, Father God, 
that I get to call friends. You've blessed my life in such great detail, Father God. Lord, we thank you today. We give you the honor and the glory because you are so great and so wonderful, Father. And if there's anyone here today, Father, that needs to, to call out to you for the very first time, Lord God, I pray right now that they do it, that they don't feel guilty, Father God, for all the, their, their, the things that they've done, that they feel that they can't come to you, Lord God, because we've all messed up. We've all done it. But Lord, you have such extravagant love for us, Father God, that you continue to call us back to you, that you continue to love us through our mess. Lord, we just want to thank you. We give you the praise, the honor, and the glory. And everybody says in Jesus' name, amen. Would you sing with us as we get ready to close today?